This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hiya, this is Grant Morrison here. Uh, you should listen to Two-Headed Nerd with, uh, what's his name and what's his name? Tell me the names again and I'll do it. Joe and Matt. Joe and Matt, Joe and Matt. Listen to Joe and Matt, Joe and Matt, Two-Headed Nerd. Grant Morrison says and buy all my comics. God bless you. Every last one. <laughs> sort of break it, break it down like good. Boosh! Welcome to episode 85 of DHN. We are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 10th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baum. on Twitter. And when I'm not cleaning dog crap out of the front seat of my car, I'm neglecting my wife, working on this show and appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. It's true. Beeps looked at me and <laughs> dropped a load in my front seat <laughs> yesterday. And I'm Joe Patrick, at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not... Sitting in the seat beeps crap down as my wife and I join Matt and Casey for a winery tour. I'm the artist of Good Plus Online and the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. That's right! Good Plus is back! That's what I hear. Is it going to be dirty this Eventually. Time? Is it going to be dirty? It's coming back. It needs to be dirty. It, I want it dirtier. This week, you'll hear reviews of Evil Ernie, number one, and Batman, number 13. Then we'll review 10 more comics so fast that nobody in their right mind would call it informative during the ludicrous speed round. After that... We'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. We're making a pact with the demon and binge drinking will help us learn the secrets of next week's comics. And of course, we'll read your answers to the question of the week. And finally, one lucky listener will get their most personal and embarrassing comic question answered <laughs> during Ask a Nerd. But before we get to all that bluster and blame throwing, let's take a second to give Bazooka Joe Biden a high five after he beat up that little kid on national TV Thursday. And then... We'll talk about this week's big news. New York Comic Con is in full swing as we record this, but the big two didn't waste any time making with their own big news, and THN is here with the biggest stories to come from the con so far. (laughs) First up, Marvel knocked fans for a loop by revealing the meaning of their superior teaser before the con even started. A new ongoing Spidey title called Superior Spider-Man. I called it. I called it. It's true. Will launch in January 2013 by writer Dan Slott and artists Ryan Stegman, Humberto Ramos, and Giuseppe Camincoli. Slot revealed that Spider-Man will have a new costume, new abilities, and a new darker tone. Great. A design sketch was released showing details of the new costume, which, while similar to the iconic Spidey design, features a lot of subtle differences, as well as the presence of small retractable talons on the web slinger's hands and feet. You know, like a spider. Yeah, just like Spider-Man 2099 had tiny little claws on his fingers. That's right, he did. He sure did. Slot went on to reveal that Spider-Man will be getting back together with Mary Jane Watson, but the superior Spider-Man will not be Peter Parker. What? What? Yeah, right. What? Okay. Chew your bagel and... This is very professional. I'm having breakfast while we do this. <laughs> Dan Slott deserves us giving him the benefit of the doubt because he is good. Yes. He's real good. He's written some of the best Amazing Spider-Man stuff that we have read in recent memory. Yeah. Love the guy. True. That said, you just developed a character in the Scarlet Spider that is not Spider-Man that's running in a different book written by Chris Yost, which is pretty good. And this leads me to believe that's going away unless you're going to introduce another Spider-Man character in a separate book. That's just going to bury that book. I mean, you can forget about it because that's you got too many spider people running around as it is. Maybe the Scarlet Spider is the new Spider-Man. I doubt they'd go that direction. Kane is the superior Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't like it. 
Right. My, I'm my just instinct, reading this. It just seems silly. My but. instinct is to resist against it. <laughs> I. Uh-huh. Uh, but like you said, Dan Slot, I think deserves the benefit of the doubt. I like that creative team. I love those artists, and. If anything, it doesn't exactly sound like a permanent shift. No, and if anybody... Well, but it's a new book. Yeah, so what? Yeah, I suppose. If anybody can pull it off, it's these guys. Agreed. Although, I'm, I'm going into it... I'm getting a little tired of Humberto Ramos's art. <sighs> getting poor, a little tired of it. Poor Humberto. Humberto. I'm going. I'm going into it a little skeptical, I have to admit. Now it's my turn. In DC News, the company confirmed that superstar creators Scott Snyder and Jim Lee will helm a third ongoing Superman title sometime in 2013. You know, because the regular Superman title is in perfectly good hands. We don't have to worry about that one. (laughs) The series will be set in the current New 52 continuity and will mirror the Batman format with a lead story by Snyder and Lee and a co-feature by Snyder and a different artist. Recent rumors have been pointing to a Superman title from Snyder called Man of Steel coinciding with a movie of the same name. However, Snyder, not Zack Snyder, director of Man of Steel, but Scott Snyder, writer of Man of Steel. Whoa! (laughs) That just blew my mind. Snyder never referred to the new series by that name and stated definitively that it would not tie into the film's story, which leads me to believe that the film story is a complete reboot. Oh, sure it is. Total reboot. Of course it is. And Superman is all alone in the DC universe, aside from one bad guy, which uh, no, 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 I don't, I don't agree. I, I think that D, uh, Warner Brothers is gearing up to try to mimic Marvel, and that they are definitely going to tie Man of Steel, introduce the idea that there are other characters. Yeah, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, no, no, no. A We're, Superman title by Scott Snyder. That's I love it. Big news. I, I love, love it. it. Why not let him write Superman? Well, that's a good question. That's my question because I mean that book is floundering, and they have no creator. Shouldn't Superman and action be the two biggest sellers at DC? It's true. It's true. I mean, I, mean, I think that there's... I'm, I'm excited for this, but that kind of stuff bums me out. I wish they would I wish they would focus more on that. Well, that's not to say that whatever comes after Grant Morrison, hint, hint, he said, pretending not to know, uh, isn't going to be good. I don't know what that noise was. <laughs> and there's... I think there's room for different interpretations of the character. Sure. But the main Superman title, I agree... Is very not good. It's need. It's completely forgettable. You don't need it. But I, I from a marketing standpoint, you it's were, a no brainer to pump this up as a new series, a new number one, and and try to trick people into. I get it. Ordering big and I get big. it. It works. But I am excited for a Superman book that I can really read, and hopefully, hopefully, it will actually feel like Superman. Right. <laughs> and speaking of Superman, a fan asked a group of DC creators at New York Comic Con's Superman panel. Whether or not his death at the hands of Doomsday was still in continuity. After much hemming and hawing from the panelists. Which I love that. Which, yeah. They all looked at each other, uh. Bleh. Like, you didn't talk Fully about. Fully confident that they are in charge of the DC Universe. You did not talk about whether this or not was Superman creators, died. This was creators and editors. Right. And Dan DiDio was sitting there, wasn't nah. he? Well, well, I don't know if he was at this panel, but he's definitely at the con. He was on the can while they were talking about that. <laughs> but after the hemming and hawing from the panelist, Action Comics writer Grant Morrison gave an emphatic yes. The writer further revealed <laughs> that his swan song on Action Comics would detail much of Superman's new 52 history, bringing the title up to present day, and setting the stage for the new creative team of Andy Diggle and Tony Daniel. I like to imagine that Grant Morrison stood up 
and like raised his arm, <laughs> like raised a sword in the air. Yes. Like he was making a vow. It was like, yes. This, I swear. Yeah. But uh, this is tantamount to like a bunch of conspiracy theorists sitting down at a NASA press conference <laughs> and going, so did we really land on the moon? And NASA all looks at each other nervously. And goes, um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't make anybody feel better. No. You know? So Morrison's uh, final storyline on Action Comics is basically going to be him revealing what stories counted and didn't count. Yeah, it sounds like we're going to get a definitive, this is what happened this to is Superman. Superman. And I'm cool with that. I wonder what he's going to pick because yeah. I'm personally uh, pulling for Superman Red, Superman Blue. I don't. Well, although that was Grant Morrison. Or the story where Superman dresses as a witch doctor and forces Jimmy to marry Gorilla. Female King Kong, to be exact. A female King Kong. Was, That's right. Please, Superman, don't make me marry female King Kong. Well, let's talk about Andy Diggle. I love Andy Diggle. I like Andy Diggle. I'm not going to go love I mean, if you'll recall, we got kind of down on his Daredevil towards the end of his run. It sort of went to a wacky place. Where yeah, Daredevil... Shadowland. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm about 60-40 with Andy Diggle. Like, I love that Adam Strange miniseries yeah. he did. That the was Losers. Oh, so good. I an loved amazing The Losers. Green Arrow Year One is very good. Green Arrow Year One was great. But this, I think, is going to be like the first time he's really I'm 75, being trusted. Seventy-five <laughs> twenty-five. I mean, this is the the first time he's really being trusted with a huge. It is, you know, flagship character, and maybe he's due. Yeah, I like Diggle. I think it's cool. I think the Grant Morrison thing is going to be a blur of like mishmash of like yeah. Superman like having coffee with Jimmy or something, <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, wrap it up at the time of that happened." Oh, what about when? Oh, this don't happened? get me started on the Eradicator. Oh wow. man, and the Millennium Giants. Jesus, you know. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where we're having an ongoing legal battle with DC and Warner Brothers over the nicknaming of our genitals, the Millennium Giants. (laughs) Every Friday, my man DJ here posts the question of the week where we ask you guys about something going on in the regular comic book world, and then we read your answers on the air. This week's question was, what is your all-time favorite Batman story, comma, comic, comma, movie, comma, cartoon, comma, whatever? Joe Patrick, (laughs) what are the nerds saying? I would be remiss if I did not start with this Facebook message from new listener Caleb Beckstrom. Welcome aboard, Caleb. Hey guys, just started listening to your show for about three weeks now and loving almost every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Caleb. I assume it's the parts where we insult women. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, my favorite Batman. We love women. I mean, yes, love them. Love them, love them, yes. love them. Now, my favorite Batman story would have to be Batman the Long Halloween, which has a great story and some of my favorite artwork of the Batman characters in it. Solid choice. But it was also my first comic book, and it's really what got me into buying comics every Wednesday at my local comic book shop. That's a great place to start. That's a capable comic shop to put that in your hands. That's right. And many people cited the Long Halloween. Our good buddy Jim, some may know him as Sweet Loaf Boner Hug on Facebook. Uh, we've got uh, one here from our buddy Ryan Forrest, who says the cult. 
which has the best version of the Batmobile. No period. No discussion. I don't remember. I've the never read the cult. I don't. It's remember. Bernie Wrightson. It's a Bernie Wrightson uh, story. Was it a prestige thing? It was. Okay. I've always meant to read it, but it's. Uh, I've never gotten around to it. Too scary for you? No, I just have never thought to pick it up. I keep forgetting. You're a crybaby. Yeah, because I'm a crybaby. <laughs> Uh, Nathan Bradford writes in, Batman the Animated Series had many great episodes, my personal favorite being The Laughing Fish, which is yeah. probably the best episode. That was a great one. When I grill up Mahi Mahi, I make my wife sing the Joker Fish jingle. Wow. <laughs> Divorce. <laughs> <laughs> and Jason Manger, or Manger, or I don't know. I'm Welcome sorry, aboard, Jason. Manger. Thanks. Really Sorry. I have to go with Dark Knight Returns as my favorite. It was one of the first Batman series that I ever bought as it was coming out, and I couldn't wait to see what happened. Oh, yeah. This was pre-internet spoilers, of course. And as far as the animated series, I'd stick with uh, The Heart of Ice, which is a great that episode. That was a really good one. Or the uh, epilogue story from Justice League Unlimited, the final episode, which was all about Batman Beyond was grown up and all of this secret history came out. About Bruce Wayne and how Terry McGinnis had been experimented on. I'm not doing it justice. It's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do remember that. That was good. But he finishes up by saying there are so many great bat tales that it's hard to choose, and I totally agree. Great answer, nerds. And we'll have more later on the show. If you want your name pronounced correctly and you're a first-time poster, please include a phonetic spelling. If you want us to mangle it for comedic effect, <laughs> yeah. keep right. doing what you're yeah. doing. Don't say shit, and we'll ruin it. <laughs> I don't understand you. I don't understand. I just don't understand you. I don't understand. I don't understand the things you say. I can't understand a single word. I don't understand. You. It's review time at THN. Where each week, we take an in-depth look at two of last Wednesday's new comics and tell you nerds whether or not you should shell out any cash for them. Joe Patrick. Yeah. What'd you throw your hard-earned money down on? <laughs> yeah. Nothing. We steal our comics. Yeah, sorry. I forced myself to read and review. I feel like you're giving it away when you say I forced myself. Well, spoiler alert, I'm going to give it away in the first <laughs> sentence of the review. Okay. Evil Ernie number one from Dynamite Entertainment, written by Jesse Blaze Snyder. I kind of can't believe you threw yourself on this one. Me neither. With art by Jason Craig, colors by uh, Marcio Menes and Adriano Augusto, and because Matt said we weren't giving enough love to everybody else, letters by Troy Pateri. He's going to be sorry I mentioned him. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Ernest Fairchild was a kind and gentle soul until one day something in him snapped, leading him to one of the most notorious killing sprees in American history. With 665 kills to his name, Evil Ernie requires one more murder to complete the ritual he started and seal his deal with the devil. Problem is, he's just been executed. Oh, what? Bummer. I hate when that happens. What led an ordinary boy to become a leather-clad angel of death? How does he wield such blasphemous power? And what is the secret behind his hideously adorable smiley face button? I threw in the adorable part. Oh. Uh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not adorable. As the solicit says, Evil Ernie is the story of Ernest Fairchild, a young man on a wacky mission to shift the balance of power between good and evil by killing 666 people and becoming a shirtless, lipless death monster or something. Don't forget bowelless. His guts are Oh, yeah, he's got him. no bowels. Yeah, he ain't got no bowels. <laughs> Everything in this book is so broadly portrayed. Like, there's a comically evil pederast warden i guess i guess he's the warden the book never says 
that like actually pecks Ernie on the forehead before his execution in front of a room full pecks, of witnesses. As in kisses. Yes. <laughs> How the hell is this guy the warden of this prison? Yeah. You know. And you know what else the book doesn't feature besides not saying whether this guy was the warden? Anything else listed in the description. Evil Ernie's supposed to deal with the devil? No. His transformation from good and gentle child to vicious psychopath? No. Yeah, nothing like that. He is, for some reason, the foster son of a man that clearly looks like Charles Manson and appears like he's never seen the ins outside of a jail cell. How did this guy get to be a foster father? Well, first, he was normal, I think. And this is me looking broadly into the story i think he was normal and then he had the leather jacket on with the psychotic pin in the beginning and the pin no made him go crazy that was his real dad who died in that car accident oh i oh see i didn't even know that i thought his dad didn't die no exactly and that's the problem with this book nothing is explained and it's poorly executed on a level that it's confusing and so when you are introduced to ernie's real parents specifically his father who it says in the script is killed in the car accident. And then two pages later, you meet his foster father who looks exactly the same, but with Charles Manson tattoos. Yeah, that's an art problem. It's Yes, it's not good. I feel like they tried to include elements of the original Evil Ernie story, but left out all of the parts that tie everything together and make it make sense. Right. Not that it made a lot of sense back Well, in the sure. Day. <laughs> I'm not saying the original Evil Ernie is like some sort of magnum uh, opus. I'm not going to give Chaos Comics that much credit. Right. <laughs> There's a ridiculously misguided attempt to get philosophical when the prison nurse actually tries to make a case for mass murder. Yeah. Uh, what? And she cries. And she cries for, for Ernie, who murdered 665 people. And they let him wear the leather jacket with the smiley face pin. To the electric to chair. To the electric chair. First of all, you're not allowed to have anything metal on you. And yeah. I guarantee <laughs> there's zippers and snaps on there. And they're going to spark and snap and catch on fire in front of the viewers. One of which is his lunatic Charles Manson father. Yes. Who they took out of, like, wherever he was being held. And brought him in chains so he could come up to the glass and be like... And lick the glass. You in hell. You evil son of a bitch! You know, like, put him in a room full of regular down. people. Sit down, Mister Evil Manson. You know, like, <laughs> come on. Both the writing and the art show flashes of promise, but they fall way short of good. There are points when Jesse Blaze Snyder does a fine job pacing that's the just story. Rude. I'm that, sorry, that's just rude. I don't mean to be rude. Jesse could be a perfectly nice guy. I'm sure he is. There are points when Snyder does a fine job with the pacing. Uh, I thought Ernie's transformation scene at the end was well-paced. Yeah. And Jason Craig uh, uses some creative panel layouts, and each page is full of detail. But it's not well-drawn. No, it isn't. There are parts of it that are like, okay, I can see that that looks pretty good. And And then the rest of it is like, how did this woman bend her arm this way? Right. Why is her face so smushed? I would also argue that the coloring that they did and like the computer shading, they're trying to sort of give it this three-dimensional look that doesn't work for this art style at all. And it made something stick out really badly. The issue is just bogged down with kind of awful dialogue and the art is just not up to par. I also feel like I should mention... The lettering by Troy Pateri is really bland yeah. and lifeless. It's like plain typewriter script smashed into the tiniest caption boxes he could manage. Yeah. And the sound effects are, are really uncreative. It's just not a good-looking book. Now, full disclosure, I obviously have zero affinity for Evil Ernie and other comics like it, mindless gore and murder just for the sake of it. 
So I'm definitely not the target market for this book, but I don't understand the draw. I don't even, I can't even see yeah, who is this why for? anyone would want to read this. That's my question. Who is this for? There's no statement being made here. There's no suspense. It's not horror. It's not no. scary. No. It's the textbook definition of gratuitous. Like, crossed, at least with the first series, I can kind of see that Garth Ennis was probably making some sort of statement. Well, and there's a story there. Crossed is well written. It really, and... Why don't you rate this first, and I'll go into my thoughts on that, because right. I have a similar... Well, obviously, I'm giving this a huge buy it. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a leave it. I'm sorry. It's a waste of money. To your point, we were saying about Crossed and what goes on at Avatar. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the Avatar comics, but they serve their purpose, and I understand who wants to read those. This is Ghost Rider, as done by Rob Zombie. It's just stupid. Gore for the sake of gore, violence for the sake of violence. I mean, there's nothing here. There's no nothing redeeming about it. I like Rob Zombie, don't get me wrong, but I hate his films. Yeah. I, they're just bad. And this doesn't even come off as like B-level bad. Like you said, the comic is poorly executed. Right. And because, this isn't me being a prude. No. Because I, I like horror comics. I do too. And I, I mean, I don't give a crap about Evil Ernie, and I never did, but I understand what Chaos was doing back in the day. They were sworn to the black, man. They were sworn to the black. They had a bunch of like teenagers with black fingernails and dyed black hair that listened to Marilyn Manson. They were just into it because it was gross and evil and mean. I don't know if that works anymore, and it doesn't work when it's poorly executed. Say what you will about Brian Polito. The guy did a good job of what he did, and his fans liked him. I don't even think Brian Polito fans are going to like this. Brian Polito yeah. is the original creator of Evil Ernie and Lady Death, by the way. Right, and I just think it's... I don't know who this is for. This is, like I said, this is, this is Ghost Riders done by Rob Zombie, whereas Avatar comics like Crossed, I would argue, are torture porn more in the vein of like a Takashi Miike. Who did uh, Audition and several other really disturbing films. They're good movies. They're hard to watch and they're creepy. And you say to yourself, who wants to watch this stuff? But they're well executed. This is not well executed. Yeah. I Giving it a perfect leave it. Yeah, it just falls down. Yeah, it's just bad. Sorry, Jesse Blaze Snyder. Matt, tell us what you're reading. Speaking of lunatic psychopaths, I read Batman number 13 from DC. Written by Scott Snyder with art by Greg Capullo. That is not how you say that name. Capullo. <laughs> this issue begins the death of the family story arc and marks the return of the Joker. You may recall he appeared briefly in the pages of Detective Comics, but it was only to have his face cut off by the Dollmaker. I thought it was stupid. But the good news is, it happened. It still stands. Right. <laughs> like they didn't forget that continuity. In fact, Scott Snyder was paying very close attention to it. Well, what they revealed was that Scott Snyder contributed to Detective Comics number one. Really? Yeah, this was the plan all along. I did not know that. But they brought it together. You yeah, see they really Batman did. and Red Robin and Robin and Nightwing and Batgirl all talking to Batman like through a cell phone connection. Although that scene was kind of silly because it was like... Robin to Batman. The Joker is back and he's totally crazy. Red Robin to Batman. Why didn't you tell me? He's totally nuts. Like, Batgirl to Batman. Why are you trying to protect me? <laughs> it was a little silly. <laughs> and I, I gotta say, at first, I thought Snyder was losing me a little bit on this one because some of the dialogue was a little ham-fisted in trying to flesh out the history of the Joker, sort of letting us know the Joker's bad, he paralyzed Babs, he did this other stuff. You've never been more wrong. I disagree, but he does it for a purpose. And as I carried through the book, I started to see what Snyder was doing. This first came off as a very familiar Joker to me, and I was kind of hoping for something new. 
And I think he wanted to establish that familiarity. There's a great scene where the power goes out in the Gotham City Police Department. And right before, when the generators kick on, the Joker is standing in the shadow in a doorway. And they all turn and look at him, and you see Commissioner Gordon go, oh no, not you. And then the generators click off again. He starts telling jokes and walking around the room and breaking people's necks as he does it. And you see Commissioner Gordon doesn't want to open fire because he's in a room full of cops. So he's desperately pointing his gun with a flashlight and just finding the corpses where he heard his voice. And the Joker tells Commissioner Gordon that, you know, he... he don't, don't, don't. I won't spoil the line. But it, there's the creepiest yeah, line. That, I was sold. And as the scene goes on, and the next time he pops up again, we start to realize that, yes, this is the Joker we recognize, but he's not the same. And there's a fantastic scene between Batman and Harley Quinn, who is posing as the Red Hood in one part, where she takes the helmet off and she's crying. And she was like, this isn't my Joker. He's this, wrong. Yeah. yeah, something's wrong with him. This isn't him. And now I gotta ask, though, if she works for the Suicide Squad, <laughs> she's working for the government, what's she doing in Gotham? They just let her go? I don't know. I don't know how the new Suicide Squad works. Yeah. I don't know if they're like under lock and key when they're not on missions or I mean, what. I would hope so. She's a psychopath, you know? I don't know. And I hate her new costume. Still hate it. But they slowly establish that, yes, this is the Joker that you know, but something is wrong with him. And when they finally reveal, in the end, I'm not going to go into it because I don't want to spoil it for you. When they finally reveal what is wrong with the Joker, it's terrifying. He's fundamentally broken. He's gone from crazy person to rabid, lunatic animal. And this is going to be a really wild romp. Greg Capullo's art is beautiful as usual. Absolutely gorgeous. The colors by FCO Placentia Capullo. work really well, especially in the scenes, like I said, in the GCPD, where you're, where you're looking from Commissioner Gordon's point of view with the flashlight and the darkness. Worked really well. I knew that Snyder was going to give us a different take on the Joker, and what he's done is respectful to the old character. It doesn't kick anything out. It's not like the Joker shows up wearing shoulder pads with spikes and carrying Uzis and driving an armored limousine or something. <laughs> like, he's paying attention. Surf's up, Batman! Yeah, right. It's me, the Joker! He's paying attention to the history, but adding a little something to it based on something that happened in Detective Comics that, as Joe said, he apparently was in on. Yeah. Death of the Family looks like it's going to be another amazing storyline by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. If you're not reading Batman, you're really missing out. Go and buy this one. Now you're starting to say Capullo like you actually believe that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. Capullo. <laughs> this book was wonderful. I didn't have a moment of doubt from the second I picked it up. I didn't share Matt's worry at first, and I didn't think it was heavy-handed or cheesy at all. I thought that this was... The all, cell phone scene? You didn't find it? Just a little? No, I didn't because uh, okay. they should be terrified. They should be shocked because he's it. been gone for a year and I they're like, it. what, he's back? How come you didn't call me? Right, you know? I get it. And that's ex ex absolutely how they should react. There's a wonderful scene where Batman and Commissioner Gordon are talking in the elevator. Well, Commissioner Gordon's in the elevator and Batman's on the roof. And Gordon says, you can't tell, right? Like, it oh, doesn't yeah. show. It doesn't yeah. show that I'm afraid. And Batman has to reassure him. He's like, no, Jim, it doesn't show. Because yeah. he's got to be strong for his daughter and for his officers. And it was 
Snyder did such a great job building up the fear and the anticipation of the Joker. My one complaint is that the marketing machine kicked in way too early. Yeah. And images of what the Joker looks like now leaked. And then they were like, hey, we're going to put his face on a die cut cover and staple it to the outside of Batman. Right. And if if the reveal, if the last page reveal had been the first time I'd seen... It would have been horrifying. I would, I would have squealed. Yeah. But instead, I already knew what to expect. There's a backup story drawn by Jock... Love him. ...that uh, love him. sets up the Harley Quinn scene... And it's brutal. And you get a real sense of why Harley knows he's messed up and how their relationship was probably always broken to be. And why Harley's not in jail in between missions. <laughs> and no, that part's not there. But uh, I love this book. I'm saying it's probably my favorite of the run so far. I'm wow. giving it a huge buy. Wow. Yeah. Of course, we want to know what you hammer-wielding psychotics and death-cheating psychotics thought of our reviews. So, lots of psychotics. Let us know how wacky and psychotic our reviews were in our comment section over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Man, we should just burp all the dots. <laughs> TwoHeadedNerd.com. Now it's time for Joe and I to slam five espressos, come with a little Colombian sugar, if you know what I mean. Step up to the podium and chatter, stammer, and scream our way through ten more comic reviews as we debate the stuff that really matters during this week's Ludicrous Speed! Go! Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 9, Number 14 from Dark Horse. That's a lot of numbers. I'm not caught up in Buffy, but I picked this up because Jane Espenson came back. She was one of the chief writers on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a show that I love very much. She's writing a two-part story called Billy the Vampire Slayer yeah. about a little gay kid that becomes a slayer. It was a lot of fun. I've given this one a buy it. I love Buffy. Halloween Eve, one shot from Image. This is the one shot from Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair that was kickstarted. Oh, that's right. Funded through Kickstarter. Kickstarter we talked about it. And it's finally out, and it is beautifully drawn. It really it's is. A, it's a jaunty little uh, holiday-themed one-shot. The story, though, is super simple. It's Alice in Wonderland. Who oh, yeah, it's Alice in Wonderland wrapped up with the Christmas Carol, wrapped up with a, it's the a wonderful life. Before Christmas. Yeah, it's it's so familiar uh, and kind of cliched. Beautiful, beautiful art by Amy Reader. I got to give it a skim it though. It wasn't earth-shattering. Transfusion, number one from IDW. It's a really cool idea. It's Steve Niles and Menton Cube. What? <laughs> I don't know. He's got this Ashley Wood kind of vibe going for him, and he's a really good artist. This is vampires versus robots fighting over the remnants of humanity for survival. It's a really cool story, but the action scenes and the art just didn't work for me at all. This Menton Cube guy is a really talented artist. Excuse me, waiter. But Can I get some more Menton Cubes for my drink? I don't think he's a good sequential artist. I just couldn't no. follow the action. I'm giving it a skim it. Point of Impact, number one, from Image. This is the new book from Jay Farber, who I, I really like. Whose books I haven't read in a while. Uh, I, I lost track of Near Death, which was his last series. It's supposed to be great, too. Yeah, I just, I just couldn't keep up with it. This is a murder mystery. It's black and white. It's kind of... Uh, Eh, I don't know if noirish is the right word, but it's a cool like whodunit. I didn't like the art. I did not like the art. It's got kind of a Paul Gulacy vibe, but yeah, I don't like work. Paul Gulacy, so suck it. I like Paul Gulacy. I just don't think it worked well in black and white. Yeah, I, I just didn't dig the art, but I loved the story. I loved how Farber 
gave you bits and pieces and, and showed you how different elements work together, I'm giving it a buy it. Even though the art wasn't great, I'm on board for the story. Skim it for me. MacGyver, MacGyver, Fugitive Gambit, number one from... Apparently, I'm the only person in America who's excited for the MacGyver comic to come back. He's watched his show with my father, and I loved it, loved it, loved it. This comic sucks. It's awful. <laughs> it's really bad. It's terrible. This is written by MacGyver creator David Slotoff, who, God bless him, for this whole show. This just didn't work at all, and the art wasn't great. They were. And he was, was trying so hard to do like a Sean Murphy yeah. vibe, cross hatching on the noses. It just didn't but went work. way overboard, so everybody looked drunk or they, they had black eyeshadow on I their nose. The plot just chugged along, forced by bad dialogue and yeah. bad ideas. Just leave it. It was bad. Let's it, stop talking about it. It was bad. Walking Dead, Michonne special from Image. This is the reprint of the origin of Michonne that was published in Playboy. I only read it for the comics. Yeah. So if you missed it, it's new. Uh, and then they blend it seamlessly into her first actual appearance in The Walking Dead. And it's fun, but, I mean, it's reprint. Sure. I'm sorry, but Michonne is such a mysterious character that it kind of works better if you don't know anything about her. And now that I know where she came from, it's kind of plain and boring. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't read it. I wish I didn't know, you know? Fair enough. So uh, it's it, Walking Dead fans should check it out, but I'm giving it a skim it because it is a reprint. AVX Consequences, number one from Marvel. This takes place immediately after Avengers vs. X-Men 12, as does Uncanny Avengers. But <laughs> this is just another little peek. It's really, it's not necessary. I mean, it wasn't a bad read, and Tom Rainey was actually pretty good here. Still, I can only really give it a skim it. Not much happened. It was just more setting up of the Marvel Now universe. I don't understand why they're tracing Magneto as he, though he was a criminal. Well, I mean, he was hanging out with the Phoenix Five, But I guess. he sided against them at the end. I agree. I don't totally get it either. Batgirl number 13 from DC. This was labeled with a death of the family prelude and a weird-ass Joker die-cut cover, so I picked it up. There you go. Guess what? It is part two of a cliffhanger that started before the Zero issue. Nicely done, DC. And it's got exactly two pages of Death of the Family tie-in content. <laughs> I'm so angry, I'd give it a leave it if it wasn't such great art by Ed Bennis. If you like Batgirl and Red Part 1, I guess you should buy it, but I don't. Fair enough. Uh, do not buy it because it's a tie-in, because it's worthless. Invincible Iron Man number 526 from Marvel. This is the conclusion of Salvador La Roca and Matt Fraction's The Future Story, where we see the big fight between Tony and the Mandarin, and he teams up with Blizzard, the Living Laser, and... Ezekiel Stain. Yeah, Ezekiel Stain, and a couple other bad guys I can't remember at the moment. It was so good. It was just so good, and I'm going to miss Matt Fraction on this book so very much. I can't give this a bigger buy it. I loved this run. I'm really sad to see it go, but I'm excited to see what Kieran Gillen does on this book next. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Red She-Hulk number 58 from Marvel. They are really trying, man. Worst title in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> they keep trying to make Red She-Hulk a thing, and I honestly don't know one person that cares. Does, yeah, okay, if anyone cares, contact us. Please. I want to hear from you. And, you, and tell me I don't, why you care. No offense, Jeff Parker is not eligible to write in. No, but, and I like <laughs> Jeff Parker. It's Perfectly adequate in execution. I just don't care. Yeah. This book should have ended, and I know Marvel is really trying with the diversity and they want to get some female leads, but Red She Hulk is stupid. She is. She's it's dumb. Stupid. We don't need her. I'm not giving it a leave it because it is well done, but I don't care. We it, got a perfectly good like, She Hulk and Jen Walters. Yeah, skim it all the way. Oh, 
that is your ludicrous speed round. And oh, is a sound a zompire makes when staked in the back by Billy the Vampire Slayer, as seen in the pages of this week's Buffy the Vampire Slayer number 14. A zompire is a vampire that has been disconnected from the hive mind of the rest of the vampires because Buffy screwed up. I'm not going to go into and ruin anything. The but vampires don't have a hive mind. Yeah, yeah, they were all like kind of connected to the master, and that's like <laughs> when that went away, they went nuts. Okay. Yeah. Sure. And I was trying not to give it away, but Joe Patrick ruined everything. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry, Buffy fans. <laughs> I always start with now. Yeah, I know you do. That's fine. Even when I don't write it. No. It's time once again to enter the shadowy confines of the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where the Enchantress awaits us with our breakfast shake of blended wheatgrass, golden apples, and bark scrapings from the world tree Yggdrasil. <laughs> Good call. Not only will the shake kickstart our colons, but an examination of our movements, our movements, Bowel will movements. <laughs> they get it. Will reveal the secrets of next week's comics. We're going Matt, to look at our poop in the toilet. <laughs> what has your butt revealed? <laughs> this is the most immature thing we've ever done. <laughs> I don't think that's true. <laughs> that's true. Matt. I already did. Oh, okay. My pick for next week, Cyberforce, number one, by Mark Silvestri, Matt Hawkins, and Koi Fam. They're back, baby. <laughs> Striker and the gang. Ripcaw. And it's free. Ballistic. So there's no excuse why you don't pick it up. I backed this on Kickstarter. This week, I will be receiving a super sexy variant in the mail for backing them. Heat. I'm not kidding myself. Heatwave? That I think this is going to be Heatwave. We are, remember, we already did this. We missed one, though. We did the Cyberforce Avalanche. Yeah. We did. How, who did we miss? I forget. I think it was Heatwave. No, I missed Oh, it. Cyblade. We missed Cyblade. Yeah. The Psylocke of... forget Cyblade. The Psylocke of Cyberforce. <laughs> <laughs> it's free. There's no excuse not to pick it up. Give it a try. I'm not kidding myself. It's going to be a masterpiece, but it could be fun. Yeah, don't be a jerk or anything. Joe Patrick, what have your bowel movements revealed to you? I'm sorry, Mom. Bow movement. My pick for next week. Daredevil number 19 from Marvel Comics by Mark Wade and Chris Somney. Somehow, after mentioning it for like 10 consecutive episodes, I let myself get eight issues behind on Daredevil. You did? Yeah. And I recently sat down and shotgunned all of them, and now I'm up to date, and I can't get enough of it. You popped a hole in the top and just I, sucked him I, down. I, I did. <laughs> Matt Murdock, it, things are not looking good. Foggy has cut him out of his life. Yeah. It looks like Matt is losing his grip on reality and he can't explain it. He, he knows that he knows that he's not going crazy, but yet he can't explain why he's seeing the things he's seeing and acting the way he's acting. And number 19, I think, is set to reveal... Who's pulling the strings of the man without fear? Mysterio. No. Nah, whatever. Our trade paperback pick for next week goes to Howard Chaikin's Reinvention of the Shadow from the 1980s four-issue miniseries The Shadow, Blood, and Judgment from Dynamite Entertainment. This was Chaikin completely reinventing the Shadow and making him really violent. <laughs> Originally published by DC. Correct. In the 80s. Good stuff. Pick it up. And of course, let us know what your bowel movements were like and what you'll be reading next week over at the comment section for this episode at twoheadednerd.com. 
I believe it to was the nerd burp comma. <laughs> I believe it was the great Mark Wade who once said at a comic panel, "As long as there are toilets, there will always be comic books." Joe Patrick, now the manservant Wong has cleaned our backsides. Why don't you read some more answers to the question of the week? That guy poor does good work. Wong. We don't poor, pay him enough. Wong. We really don't. Daniel Lopez writes in on our Facebook page, My favorite has got to be the Venom story, uh, which was published in Legends of the Dark Knight. Yes. It was the first trade paperback I owned. I was around 10 at the time, and the only Batman stories I knew were from the Burton movies and the animated series. I would eventually lose the book up until this year when it was re-released. Batman doing drugs, especially during the no-drugs 90s, really freaked me out. Yeah, man. Just say no. It was a creepy series. It was good. Yeah, Venom is awesome. Legends of the Dark Knight used to be a fantastic series. It was like any kind of anthology hit and miss, but when, well, it, yeah, when were... it hit, it hit big. Yeah. I mean, a lot of great dudes did stuff there. Who did Venom? Was that Wagner? No, it was Denny O'Neill. Love him. Yeah. I love him. He's a legend. He's one of my favorites. Yes. Chris Bell, who listeners will recall is the British guy. Oh, Chris the British guy, Bell. Yeah. Uh, m- my vote goes to the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> I shan't go on about it. I'm sure you're all you all understand. Cheerio. <laughs> Fair enough. The Dark Knight Returns. I'm really sorry about that. Chris. No, it's all right. I think he likes it. <laughs> we'll never know. He's not the Karate Master, right? He's too polite. He is. He's Chris is the Karate Master. Yes. Okay, we shouldn't mess with him anymore. No. Uh, Johannes McDonald, middle name unpronounceable, sorry. Try it. Come on. We've never well, been scared like, of a name we can't it's butcher. V-O weird looking B. Do it. <laughs> Johannes Voigt <laughs> McDonald. <laughs> sorry, Johannes. Again, phonetically, unless you want us to kill it. <laughs> Arkham Asylum, a serious house on serious earth. I don't think there's another Batman comic in existence with the same amount of depth. Secret shame, I have never read Arkham Asylum, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. Really? Yeah. Oh, man, it was good. I've never read it. Wow. I'm a coward. Wow. It's too scary. Too scary. Big baby. Biggest baby. <laughs> I'm the biggest baby. Stephen Kohler writes, Batman Arkham City, because I am Batman. Oh, that's and fair. And he is not the only one to suggest that, and sticking with the video game theme, we'll wrap up. With a message from our buddy, Jesse Nigro, who says, Batman Returns for the Super Nintendo, a riveting tale of choke slams and snow flurry <laughs> boss battles. <laughs> Excellent responses, everybody. That was a great job, guys. Keep them coming. Yes. It's time once again to make one lucky listener internet famous when we read their question in front of the World Wide Web and everyone on it during our monthly Ask a Nerd segment. Because everyone listens to this show. That's right. All of you. That's right. This month, Wade writes in and asks, what earth does the current New 52... Let's make it sound like a nerd. This is a pretty nerdy question. I'll do Wade. Okay. Uh, What earth does the uh, current New 52 take place on? Uh, If Earth 1 is where uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Superman and Jeff Johns' Batman are, and James Robinson is giving me geekasms (laughs) on Earth 2... What does that mean? We're all reading Earth 3? Question mark? 52? Question mark? 29? Question mark? <laughs> you Wade's a nerd. It's cool. I get it. Thanks yeah. for writing in, Wade. We get it. <laughs> this is a this is a real question, though. It is a real question. Where is this taking place? Joe Patrick, and you're our DC go-to guy. The answer, I think, sadly, is... Uh, yeah, no, they, it's nowhere. 
outside of calling Earth 2 the book Earth 2, which I don't even necessarily think means anything. Yeah, I think, I think it a, does. I think does it, it does. Well, okay. Let's give a little background. Originally, the DC Universe, when it had the multiverse, uh, the main DC Earth was Earth 1, the JSA Earth was Earth 2, etc., etc., etc. Right. Until Crisis on Infinite Earths came and collapsed everything down to one reality. And that's how we operated for many, many years until Jeff Johns introduced in Infinite Crisis the multiverse, except there were only 52 now, and the main DC Earth was New Earth, not Earth 1. Oh, that's right. They called it New Earth. And the Wildstorm Earth was Earth 50. And, and everything was separated by the bleed. Yes, and Warren everything was Ellis separated by the bleed. With. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we were fine with that for a while until Flashpoint when Ugh. Pandora used the, uh, Barry Allen to collapse three timelines together to form the new DC 52 continuity. Vertigo. Wildstorm, which was Earth-50. Well, some of Vertigo. Some of Vertigo. <laughs> the Wildstorm universe, which was Earth-50, and what we had had since Infinite Crisis, which was called New Earth at the time. And now that brings us to the New 52. What that means now? Is this Earth-1? No. I think that the Earth-1 referring to the Straczynski and Jeff Johns books are just marketing their titles. I don't think there's any chance that they can cross the boundaries of the universe and yeah. meet up with us. I think that's purely just to separate it out as their book line. Right. That they can get in. Well, I almost said Borders, but Borders went the hell Barnes away. and Noble. Barnes and Noble. But that said, that means you can't use the term Earth One in the main stories without confusing everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, so to answer your question, Wade, nobody f***ing knows. Yeah. Not even DC. And I think, that, yeah, this goes back to another major problem with the DC relaunch. And I'm not saying we need a number to establish it, but we don't know. We really don't know where yeah. this is happening, whether or not it is connected to a bunch of different realities or not. We know that people can go It from, is, because Grant Morrison is coming out with his multiversity project. Well, there's that, and we know that Power Girl and the Huntress came, came from Earth 2. From Earth 2 to... Our Earth. Quote-unquote, our Earth. D, we'll call it DC Earth. DC Earth. I don't know. But... Yeah, DC has not bothered to label it. Nor and, clearly define it. Yeah. Not that it, like you said, not that it matters for enjoyment. No. You are enjoying it. And you're not, you're not lost and you're not confused. We have not been told. It's, the, you know, really that's the sort of thing that hardcore fans really got into. I love the idea of the multiverse. I think DC's probably going to shy away from making a hardcore attempt at defining their multiverse because yeah. the new 52 is supposed to be all about new readers bringing in new readers right and for largely they have been successful so until they reveal that part of the multiverse is everything that ever happened in the old dc universe and you start know telling what? those stories again i can't wait as a loophole to be like oh no we're not going back to it but it, it happened here it is i can't wait for that to come out Thank you for your question, Wade. The answer is there is no answer. If you have got a comic question burrowing through your brain like a SETI eel larva or a comic trivia challenge for comic book samurai Joe Patrick, shoot us an email with the subject line, ask a nerd to twoheadednerd at gmail. Dot com. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. That is it for this whacked out and psychotic edition of THN. If you dig on two adult nerds discussing botched deals with the devil and the actions of the criminally insane and dogs shitting in cars, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes. Where? 
If you want to prove your THN love, you can leave us a star rating or a written review and help us get in the iTunes Top 10. We got two last week, and they were so sweet. Thank you, guys. Thank you very love much. It. Huge thanks to our newest donors, Michael and Jeremy. And if you'd like to help keep us in psychotic buttons and ball-peen hammers, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved TwoHeadedNerd.com. While you are there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic that you would like us to review and get ready for the triumphant return of Nerd TV, where our occasional guest host, David DeMarco, will be reviewing the nerdiest of television shows this week. He's talking about and rapping about Arrow. The CW's latest DC Comics adaptation, this time of Green Arrow. Guess what? He's a mass murderer, just like Ollie Queen. <laughs> Way to go, CW! Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. Don't forget to visit TwoHeadedNerd.com to check out the web-exclusive audio blog, Answer of the Week, where Matt and I will post our answer for favorite Batman story of all time. Our unedited answers. Yeah, it's going to be full of the most important and filthy audio blog ever. <laughs> Next week, get ready for the return of the comic pushers who will be scheming and dealing some highly addictive comics to your children. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Tim Flieger who we affectionately refer to as Tim Nebraska, because he's from Pennsylvania, who took the time to nominate us as a contender in the 8th Annual Podcast Awards, and he encourages all of his fellow listeners to do the same when this show comes out. You will have one day to do it. I'm not saying we're going to win, but hey, let's go check that box. Yeah. You know, come on, help us out. From now until 11.59 on October 15th, you can go to podcastawards.com and write in the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast as a nominee in the entertainment category. Because there's not a dedicated comics category. Which is bullshit, man. Come on. There's a ton of comic book podcasts out there. And I don't know if you could call what we do, quote, entertainment. (laughs) We're more like... Infotainment. Infotainment. Yeah, we're hard-hitting news. Yeah. Word to you, Tim. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs>